Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 28th day of July. God, we're almost at the end of July 2018 from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. You know, sometimes when you... Do you ever have a situation if you listen to something, whether it's a song or a podcast or something, and you are listening to it in a specific place that you associate that place with that piece of music or that show you're listening to or or, or sometimes it's a ball game. We do that. We 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 connect like you that place reminds me of this piece of music or like I think about places where um you know I watched a game or listened to a game and when I see that place again it reminds me of that. I'm I'm was going past Stanford today up here in Palo Alto at one point today and I had a a flashback to listening on my on my earbuds to the great podcast Sports Without Balls which is hosted by Aaron Foley friend of the podcast friend of mine I've known her forever and I specifically remember a day where for whatever reason I was on a Stanford campus that day and I was listening to her talk to Poppy Kramer wonderful comedian and again, friend of mine and friend of the podcast has been a guest on the show a bunch of times and big Mets fan. And I had a flashback thinking about Poppy Kramer in my earbuds going past Stanford. And of course, uh, it has an extra bit of emotion today. Uh, this is going to be one of those podcasts where I'm going to be speaking from the heart a little bit. Uh you know, I'm not going to be breaking down the Mike Moustakas trade to the Milwaukee Brewers or anything like that. I'm not going to talk about Mookie Betts's walk-off homer, although that was a thrilling thing as a Red Sox fan. And I'm watching the Red Sox again now that Stephen Wright is is hurt. And it, it's I'm going to talk about Poppy Kramer, but also talking about memories and baseball and and the effect of timelessness. Uh, Let me explain what I mean by that. Poppy Kramer is a friend of mine. That's how I'll phrase it. She died yesterday. Uh, She's my age. She's 46. She's not an old woman. She was someone who's my age. And when someone who's your own age goes, it's a a wake-up call. It's, it's, It's a roundhouse punch to the belly is what it is. Poppy Kramer was a comedian. I first met her in the 1990s. Uh, I started, when I did stand-up comedy in New York, it was, uh, I started in 1995. Uh, I met Poppy, I'm going to guess 97 or 98. And she was uh, a fixture in the, in Greenwich Village. She hosted a show forever at the duplex on Christopher Street near and uh uh Seventh Avenue. And 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 predominantly gay and lesbian shows that she hosted 
uh, I would appear in those shows all the time. I was like the, you know, the token straight white guy. But uh, I, it was always a wonderful show. She did. She just hosted these these wonderfully funny shows, and she was such a classic New York character. You know, she was funny. She was a ball buster. She, but she she was that sort of friendliness that you needed to understand in New York with what it means to have that New York warmth. A lot of people think New Yorkers are rude. I think New Yorkers are, uh, as a whole, the nice some of the nicest people in the world. It's just there's not a cute and cuddly side to it. That there's an attitude, there's a sense of sarcasm, there's a sense of, you know, don't fuck with me. But if you don't, if you follow those parameters... I'm going to be your friend forever. And that's what she was like. And she gave people stage time on her show. She gave people a chance to grow as a comic. And I could just contact her. It's like, hey, can I do the show this week? Absolutely. She'd get me on somewhere. And she was also a huge Mets fan. One of my memories of her hosting the show would be she would have on her Mike Piazza jersey. It was when the Mets had the black jerseys and with the blue lettering, which was a uniform I hated. I, I hated those black jerseys, but I don't know. She she wore it. She's the Met fan. And she had Piazza was her favorite player. Obviously, everyone loved Piazza. And she would have her bandana on her head and be hosting from the bar. It was she was incredible to watch her. And then would have some terrific comics up and some crappy comics up. But the show always moved and it was wonderful. And then afterwards, we would be at the bar and just talk baseball. And it was a remarkable time to be a baseball fan in New York City. You know, the Red Sox were good, but not as good as the Yankees. This was during the Derek Jeter years. And the Mets were putting together a good team. And, of course, when they finally won a pennant, they ran into the Joe Torre Yankees. So it's like Met fans couldn't even have that moment. It, it takes a certain kind of personality to be a loyal Met fan when the Yankees were putting together one of their great teams in their history, which is saying something. You know, any bandwagon fan or casual baseball fan would have drifted from the Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry Mets of the 80s over to the Derek Jeter Yankees. And, of course, Gooden and Strawberry also eventually moved over to those Yankees in a not exactly coincidental move to sway over loyal Met fans. But if you stayed with the Mets, especially through the Bonilla years and the Vince Coleman years and all the crappy years they had, and when they started putting it together under Bobby Valentine, don't forget he did a fine job. And eventually the arrival of, you know, players like Robin Ventura and the and and you know Ray Ordonez and and Edgardo Alfonso and finally Mike Piazza that Staying with those Mets teams, when you could very easily have just gone to the Bronx and had an all-time great memory, took a certain type of personality. 
someone who is not going to take the easy route and someone who's going to savor the good parts and flagellate themselves over the bad parts. And that was the kind of person Poppy Kramer was. And she had a great attitude about the Mets. It was always a fatalistic attitude. It's it's not easy being a Met fan. It's not always about winning. Sometimes it's about losing horrifically. But having those great moments where you could perk up and say, oh, but we got this. We have this great memory. We have this. We have that. You know, even in times when they lose, you could have a moment like the Ende Chavez catch in Game 7, which, of course, that game ends with a called third strike, the humiliation of the Carlos Beltran strikeout. But to be a Met fan, really, in that era, in that time, when we were really close friends and, and seeing each other all the time, and certainly every night she had a show, took a certain personality. And that was her. And I, I'll tell you something I distinctly remember about that time, because the Mets were really good. Again, this is the Piazza era. This was the Pedro Nomar years with the Red Sox. And the Yankees, of course, were king. And the thing that I, I distinctly remember about those years was, this was before, again, this I'm going to sound like old man Sully. You know, this is the late 90s, early 2000s. This is before you can look at your goddamn phone. Sorry, Ray, but before you could look at your goddamn phone and see scores instantaneously. So, you know, she would, and, and she's had a bar where they didn't necessarily have the TV on to the Mets game while she was there. And so when I'd be waiting for my spot, right across 7th Avenue was a bar called the Riviera Bar. I think we talked about this when she was a guest on the show. And I'll link some of her past appearances on the show because she was always wonderful. She was such a great podcast guest. But I, I, I think we talked about this, so forgive me if I'm repeating some things. I've only done, what, 1,500 of these shows. That the Riviera Bar, which was right across 7th Avenue from the duplex where she would do her show, was a Boston bar. It was a place for you know, native New Englanders to gather in New York City. And they would show the Red Sox games and Celtic games and Bruins games and Patriots games and everything there. So while I would be waiting for my spot, I would run across the street to the Riviera and check the Red Sox score and then wait for the ticker at the bottom to get the updates on the Mets and the Red Sox and the Yankees and then run back across the street to the duplex and like someone would be on stage, like Judy Gold would be on stage doing something, you know, remarkably funny. And I'd lean over the bar and say, you know, Poppy, Poppy. The Mets are losing 2-1 to one to San Diego. The Red Sox are winning 3 nothing, and the Yankees are clobbering Kansas City. So, like, I'd be, I would be telling the news to her. And then at the end of the show, when everyone's out mingling and everything, Poppy and I would talk Mets and we'd talk Red Sox. Or if Aaron Foley would be there with us and we'd be talking this or the other thing. And also, you know, Poppy uh, knew 
was really, really good friends with a woman I was dating at the time. And so she would want to know the gossip about that. And, you know, and, and she would, she would be just such a great figure there. And she was on, uh, she was, she was overweight for a big chunk of the time there. And then she was on the show, The Biggest Loser on NBC and lost a tremendous amount of weight from the show because they do this and everything. But even after she lost the weight, you know, people were saying she looks so different. She looks so different. I said, no, she doesn't. She still looks like Poppy. Her essence is there. Who she is is there. And she would appear on TV talking about the Mets. I mean, she just was really talented and fun. And I think about whenever, you know, the Mets do something, she's one of those people, if the Mets do something awful or like what, you know, freaking Syndergaard has, you know, foot and mouth disease. There's a couple of people I automatically think of. I think of my cousin Dave. I think of my friend Liam McEnany. I think of my friend Andres, uh, Andre Dubouchet. Uh, and I think of Poppy. And I think of those are the people who are always have their toe in the water for the Mets. And... Now she's gone. She's gone. And she didn't get to see the Mets turn it around and everything. And, and you know, it's funny. Like, people are posting stuff. And I post. I posted some of her past appearances on the podcast. And people are showing some of the, her clips because she was on TV a lot. And, you know, doing a commercial for this and a promo for that. And suddenly a lot of her comedy and everything suddenly becomes poignant and it becomes sort of tragic or something. And I don't want that for her. And, you know, I, I you know, it, it's, it was her life and she did funny things. But I, I tell you what it got me thinking today, because uh, it really, it really affected me. Not just because I lost a friend. And someone, I actually was good. I was working, I was writing an email the other day. I was going to ask her to be like, hey, let's get on the show again. Let's talk Mets. I was going to have her on in August. You know, he's the first friend of the pockets, first one to, to, that is gone. And it got me thinking about what I've said about baseball. And what I find unique about baseball as an emotional experience that I don't know exists in other sports. Maybe it does, and and I don't recognize it because they're not my sports. But baseball, emotionally, and how it carries itself, and how it markets itself, and and how it presents itself to fans... In in not a hundred percent sincere way, not a hundred percent perfect way, as an element of timelessness. And I don't mean everything is old man or back in my day. Although there's a lot of back in my day in baseball, there is a sense that you're watching the past, present, and future simultaneously. That when you're watching a game, obviously, like you know tonight's game between. Uh, the Minnesota and Boston, for example, was a game that's in the present. But, you know, Chris Sale pitching, pitches well. The Red Sox, uh, you know, get the lead. Uh, Kimbrell blows the save in the ninth inning. 
Raphael Devers hits a home run to tie the game. Betts hits a home run to win the game. Everyone's happy in Boston. So that's something that happens in the present. And there's an element towards the future that you're looking at. Because what does this game mean? Red Sox win the game. It pushes them forward. How will this affect the team when you think about them moving to the, you know, if they go into the postseason? You look at the Twins, and they've made several tr- trades recently. You know, trading away this player, that player. So that means players coming in who are younger, building them towards the future. So you're thinking about the future. But the past looms over everything. The uniforms that they wear remind you of the past. Fenway Park is a monument to the past. And you and you see the retired numbers and you see the past flags waving. You see that when you go to AT&T Park right up to 101 when they have the statues of, of Mays and McCovey and Marichal and, and Orlando Cepeda and Gaylord Perry and they have the flags waving not just of the San Francisco championships of recent but of the past championships of the days of John McGraw and Mel Ott and Bill Terry and Willie Mays. They all happen at the same time. The ghosts loom over every single game. No matter what, you're going to see stats and history of things happening in the past. And the <clears throat> excuse me, the Oakland A's recently have gone on a wonderful winning streak against Texas, and they were showing this is the biggest number of hits they've gotten, this and that, and the other thing, and they're bringing up Al Simmons in the days of Connie Mack that the, back when the team was in Philadelphia. The past looms over the teams. It loomed over the Red Sox and the White Sox and the Cubs when they all won their recent championships. It still looms over the Cleveland Indians. You can't talk about the Mets without talking about their successes, of course, but some of the times they've fallen apart and their failures in the past. That looms over a team. The past is there. The future is coming and the present is there. And by constantly wanting to embrace tradition, keeping the uniforms the same, let's make our stadiums feel old-timey, let's put it lay on grass, let's do this and that, that everything feels like it's part of the past. So when we see the present and look at the future, it all feels the same. It's why people hated the notion of steroids, because it made the numbers artificial because you could point to numbers and say Babe Ruth hit this and Jackie Robinson did that and Ted Williams hit this and Bob Feller did that and and Bob Gibson did this and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays did that and those numbers could be compared to the numbers of today and that's how we check the value of a player if someone's doing it artificially that makes the numbers artificial. Now, of course, there's giant problems I have with that notion because the people that had taken amphetamines, if there was no integration, there was ways that the numbers were always skewed. But creating that illusion is there. And that's part of baseball. That's part of what fuels baseball. You can't, like, let's talk about, like, a player like Mike Trout of the present. And people can't talk about him without bringing up players like Ken Griffey Jr., or going further back to Mickey Mantle, that said these are the types of players that he is of that caliber. The past hangs over the team. Present is always there. 
The future is there. They all happen simultaneously or appear to. That's the illusion. It may not be true, but that's the illusion of baseball. And then when you watch a game and you hopefully get your children into it, can't get my kids into it, but you watch it and you think about your experience you had with your parents. I still watch it with my dad who has had his ups and downs recently. And I watch the games with my mom who still loves watching baseball with me. And that's something that we share and it's something that connects because I know they watched it with their parents. And that connection is still there and it moves on. But it is an illusion. It isn't the past, present, and future all happening at the same time. The ballparks are different. The equipment's different. The way you play is different. All the players today are more talented in terms of the physical abilities in the past. Don't come at me with that. They throw harder. They hit it harder. You know, it's it's an illusion. And the illusion becomes clear when you lose that person who you can no longer share the games with. You know, when you lose someone, like I lost Poppy Kramer today. I've lost one of the people that I can share my thoughts, my humor, my, you know, my goading and and making fun of the Mets and praising them when they do well, because I have no ill will towards the Mets. I'd like to see him do well. And you realize that this journey that she took as a baseball fan ended. Ended with a shitty Mets team. <laughs> that stinks. And probably won't trade Jacob deGrom in order to rebuild. And that's how her journey ends. And someone, you know, for other people it will continue. And the river will continue, but... At some point, that's where it ended for her. There is no future. There's not even a present anymore. Just a past. And we don't like to be reminded that that illusion isn't real. We don't want to be reminded that there's progress and changes and that it's not as stable as we think it is. That's why people hated the cookie-cutter parks of the 70s or the changes of the uniform. That's why people flip out if there's any change to the comfort. You know, the, the the Minnesota Twins had their greatest moments in their history wearing their worst uniforms they ever wore in one of the ugliest stadiums in baseball history. And there's virtually no nostalgia for the awful Twins uniforms of the late 80s, early 90s, or the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome, which looked like a giant souffle with a trash bag in right field. There's no nostalgia for that, even though those were the greatest moments in the history of that franchise ever took place. Because it felt different. It didn't feel like the time warp. Ah, Target Field feels like a time warp. Even though it's a new stadium, everything, it feels like old tradition. Because we want the illusion. The illusion's comforting. The illusion is there like a warm friend saying, I've always been here and I'll always will be here. I'm the same friend who's there to comfort you. I'm the same friend who comforted 
your parents and their and their parents and they're we're watching the same game. It feels the same. It's still two birds sitting on a bat on a cardinal uniform. It's still the interlocking NY on a Yankee uniform. It's still that the 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 B on the Red Sox and the old English D on the on the Tigers and something really kind of sort of racist on the Indians. Think about that. They don't want to change the most racist logo in the world because, oh, but there's a tradition. Don't change anything. Not even that. Don't change anything. The illusion is comforting. The illusion of the past and present and future all happening simultaneously gives you a warm feeling even when it's completely counterfeit. As I pointed out, where the Mets play right now is designed to remind you of Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. Even though the Mets existed because the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants left town and they'd created a new team to fill that void, the Mets never played in Brooklyn. The Mets never played in Ebbets Field. They played in the polo grounds. Why not make it look like the polo grounds? But you have to create that sensation. Oh, no, no. It's that warm feeling of the 50s and everything. It's that nostalgia. It feels warm. Like a nice cup of cocoa in the middle of December. Except sometimes you get a cruel reminder. That no... It's an illusion. And the journey sometimes ends. It's going to end for me one day. It'll end for you. It'll even end for the young fans we're seeing now. We're gonna, it'll end for everyone you know. And it's not something you want to think about. You like to think that you're going to continue watching the games. And I don't know what happens in the afterlife. I, I, to me, I think this is an afterlife, is talking and about you know, people in the past and remembering them. If indeed I'm wrong and there is an afterlife and there is ghosts and spirits and all that shit, then I hope Poppy's in a place where she can watch Mets games. But for all intents and purposes, the journey ends for her. And it sucks. There's a lot of shitty people out there who should be dead. And we lost Poppy Kramer. The hell is that all about? The fact of the matter is, when you see the illusion is just an illusion, and the past, present, and future don't exist simultaneously, it's like seeing that the magic trick is just someone shoving dubs up their sleeves. It's not as special. Poppy was special. I have a lot of warm, great memories about her. And if nothing else, she earned a podcast to be dedicated to her and thoughts about what it means to live this baseball journey. I wish you saw your team win a World Series, Poppy. I wish that the Mets didn't shit the bed in 2015 against the Kansas City Royals. But do you know what? Your baseball journey is over. 
And I knew you had a fun time during it. And you made my life a little bit better by being my friend. And I've seen the things that people are posting. And you've made a lot of people have a, you know, their lives were just a little bit better because you were in it. And that's the definition of a life worth lived. So, Poppy Kramer, I salute you. And appropriately, the Mets lost a heartbreaker today. Is there a more appropriate way to pay tribute to her? Not that I can think of. Rest in peace, my friend. Rest in peace. Well, my baseball journey is going to continue, at least until tomorrow. So, for all of you out there, go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. Uh, at Instagram, I'm at Sully Baseball Podcast. Uh, I'm on YouTube as well. Uh, you can be old school to send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Honoring someone who's, quite frankly, earned it. This has been... Sully Baseball for the 28th day of July 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Rest in peace, Poppy. And you can call me Sully. She did.